All right, Ecclesiastes, I said turn to chapter 10, but we're actually going to be starting a little bit earlier than that. We're going to start at the end of chapter 9. So a little bit of backtrack, a little bit of reading some verses we read last week, um, but I think not only do they connect with last week in chapter 9, but they kind of lead into and connect with this week. Um, the title for this morning's message is A Fool's World. A Fool's World. Now you can look at that title and take it one of two ways you can... You can anticipate that the sermon is going to be looking at the world and the life of a fool. Someone will describe what that, that is by biblical terms. Or you can look at that and say, well, the world is a fool's world. And actually what I mean is both. Originally, as I went through this text, what stuck out to me is that the preacher of Ecclesiastes describes for us the life of a foolish person. But as we go through that, we are going to realize there's a lot of foolish people in the world. And that this world, and part of what leads to the meaningless, the vanity, the emptiness that the preacher keeps pointing us to, part of the reason for that is because we live in a world of foolish people. And at times we ourselves are foolish people. And again, we're going to define what that means. I told somebody the other day, I, I changed the chairs around just so that we didn't get stuck in a rut. Just so that we didn't become one of those churches where things that have always been the way they are, they become sacred things. Um, I like change, so you're going to, you're, there's not going to be some things that stay the same. Um, but along those lines, just so we don't think that the way a sermon is delivered in the different format all the time is sacred, I'm not going to read the entire passage at the beginning like I normally do. I just want to read two verses, and we'll read the rest as we go along. Um, so Ecclesiastes 9, 17 and 18 are what I want to read to start. And I think these give a... A good introduction, but a good overview of what we are going to hear in the rest of the verses. And 17 and 18 say this. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. So we have two better than statements. And let me read them again. Notice the two better than this it's better than that. We've heard this before in Ecclesiastes. But he says the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Well, even though I'm not reading the whole passage, I think it's a good idea to pray in the beginning. So join me as we pray. Father, we do ask for your help. We ask that you would send your spirit, your spirit who has come into our lives and sealed us for you, who has brought us this great gift of salvation and applied it to us, what Jesus has accomplished. And now we ask that your spirit would take this word that is described as the implanted word. And we ask that you would cause this word to flourish and grow in our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Well, one of the shows that me and Kayleen used to watch, we've watched them all now, um, so we don't watch as much anymore, but one of the shows we used to like to watch is the show Fixer Upper. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that show by now. It's the show that Chip and Joanna Gaines um, host, and they take a client, and they go and find this dumpy, overlooked, long-forgotten home in a neighborhood in Waco, Texas, and they, they take it and they turn it into a dream home. There's many shows like that. This is our favorite because we, we like the Gaines family. But at the end of the show, they always end the same way. And that is with the big reveal. 
And the way this show does it is they, they make the couple who's, this is this house they're fixing up for, they make them close their eyes and they lead them to the front street of their home. And when they open their eyes, they see not their new and fixed up home, but they see a canvas. And on that canvas is the home in its original condition. And they have this canvas on wheels and they will soon roll them apart and reveal the new house. But often they begin by asking the question, what made you choose this house? I mean, look at it. You look at the canvas. The, the landscaping is overgrown. The exterior of the house at part times is falling apart. It hasn't been cared for. And we've gone through the interior in the show, so we know the interior was even worse. It's a house that no one has taken notice of for years. Realtors in the area had avoided taking their clients to this house. Because no one saw the value of this home. But then, of course, they wheel away the canvas and show that underneath the rough exterior was a beautiful home. If only someone had eyes to see it and the know-how to bring it out. And some people have this eye to see the value of something when other people only see junk. And if you've ever been to a thrift store with someone who's like that, all you see is junk, but they see a treasure just waiting to be brought out. And sometimes it's like the, the homes on those shows. It, it takes some work to bring out this treasure. But, but sometimes it's simply treasure in and of itself. It's something that is of great value. It's just that no one knows its true value. If you've watched the show, uh, uh, the show Antique Roadshow, you, you know that. People show up with what they think is just something that has been handed down from generation to generation. And it's just a family heirloom. And they take it and they discover that this thing is worth thousands or hundreds of thousands sometimes. Of dollars has incredible value. It just took the right person to recognize it. Well, this morning in our verses, the preacher points us to something that is of great value, but no one recognizes it. We, we saw this last week when the preacher in, in chapter 9, verse starting in verse 7, the preacher, he, he took us in a sense to the window of a family home and he invited us to peek into that window and to see a family having a quiet meal at home. And we, we saw there that a family where a husband loved his wife, where he worked hard at his job and together they gave thanks for the food on their table and the roof over their head. And the preacher says, here is the most valuable thing in the world. Someone who receives life as a gift from God. Even the simplest of lives. And we know with the preacher, he's pursued every avenue to find pleasure and treasure in this world. But he says, that's not where real value is found. Here is the good life. Here is the value of to be found under the sun. To enjoy life as a gift from God. But no one recognized it. And now he points to something else that the world doesn't see as having value. And that is wisdom. And here's the first thing I want us to take note of in this world. In, that, in, this, in these verses. And that is that in this world, wisdom often goes unseen. And often goes unrewarded. Wisdom in this world goes unseen and unrewarded. To make the point, the preacher pointed us to something that he saw as he was looking around in this world. If you've been with us in Ecclesiastes, you know the preacher says, I saw this, I saw this, I saw this. And here he says, I saw something that seemed great to me. Seemed significant, seemed noteworthy. I saw something that got my attention. Now, because I, I'm strange, I, I looked up what this word great meant in Hebrew. I mean, 
kind of looking. What's the point of this word great? But every once in a while I get little treasures when I do that. And like this, where one dictionary said, great, large, man among the Anakin. Anakin. Now I looked at that and I said, one of these is not like the other. But the Anakin, if you know, in Genesis chapter 14 tells us that they were the descendants of giants. And if you were looking over a lineup of people, among that lineup, one would stand out to you. He would stand out among the rest, this man of Anakin. And the preacher says, I have looked out over the world, and something stands out among the rest. And what it is, is the way wisdom doesn't stand out. The way wisdom isn't rewarded. What is great, what is significant, what catches his eye, is how wisdom is ignored in this world. Verse 13 and 14, he says, I have also seen this this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city. Notice the scene he is setting up. There is a little city with a few men in it versus a great king who comes and besieges it, who builds great siege works or, or nets is the actual word. It's a lopsided battle. There's a great king with great armies against a little city with few men. Defeat is certain. Destruction is imminent. And death is coming. But then the preacher says, out of nowhere comes victory. Because there was found in that city, among the few men, a poor and wise man. And by his wisdom, he says, he saved the city. They weren't destroyed. They were rescued. They were saved. Now we aren't told the details of how this victory is won. But we're only told that it's because of the wisdom of this one man that a great king with his great armies is defeated. Now you would expect that this would lead to fame and fortune for this poor wise man. You might expect a a ceremony where the keys of the city are handed over. Bridges and roads would be named after this man. And when, when families would pass over the road, parents would tell their children about this great man who saved and rescued the city. That's not what happens, is it? Verse 15 goes on to say, Yet no one remembered that poor man. The New Living Translation says, Afterward, no one thought to thank him. It's hard to believe that that's possible, but we don't know what example this is, but we can probably point to many in history. This man saved the entire city with his wisdom, but when it's over, everyone moved on with their lives and forgot all about the wise man. The NIV even says that afterwards his words are no longer heeded. He saved the city, but the next time trouble comes along, they don't ask him and they don't listen to him for advice. Wisdom in this world is often unnoticed and unrewarded. But even though that's the case, the preacher says it's still better. He says, I say that wisdom is better than might. And we've seen the example of that. It's It's true. Wisdom in that case was better than might. Though a poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And I'd be words are not heeded. That's where that phrase comes from. Now we need to clarify what we mean when we think, when we hear the Bible use the word wisdom. Wisdom does not merely mean intellect or education, degrees on your wall and and initial letters after your name. It doesn't simply mean knowing a lot, but the Bible defines wisdom as fearing the Lord 
and walking in his ways. Psalm nine or Proverbs nine and ten, several places you can find this, but Proverbs nine ten says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here is where wisdom starts with fearing the Lord and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Psalm 128 verse 1 says that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And what does that look like? They walk in His ways. This is what wisdom is, the Bible tells us. To fear the Lord and to walk in His ways. The preacher says this is the better way. The psalmist says this is the blessed way, which is, can even be translated the happy way. But the preacher warns, it's not always the easy way. And often it's the lonely way and the thankless way. But yet still the preacher says it is the better way. He says, do not judge the value of wisdom by the price tag the world puts on it. Ecclesiastes 9.17 and the NIV says, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. There's a lot of shouts of rulers of fools. They drown out the quiet words of the wise. And I, and I love this word quiet because it could also be translated as calm or patient or rest or comfort or healing. Wise words, they're often calming words. They, they calm us and they're delivered in a calm manner, even in the midst of chaotic situations. We've been in the seasons of chaos where into our chaos comes the calm words of wisdom. Wise people, they they patiently listen before sharing their wisdom. Wisdom and wise words, they bring rest and they bring comfort. And I love this, wisdom brings healing. This is contrasted with the shouting of a bombastic ruler. Again, who often drowns out the words of the wise. Everybody's looking in his direction because he has the loudest voice. The preacher says, listen for the wise words. Listen to the quiet words of the wise. Verse 18, he says, Better is the weapons of war. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And I love the message paraphrase here that just puts us in, puts it in words that kind of get, get our attention. Wisdom is better than warheads. However, one hothead can ruin the good earth. Wisdom is better than warheads, but when the person holding their hand over the the red button is a hothead, watch out. Wisdom is often ruined by the actions of a fool. Wisdom, again, is better, the preacher says. Living your life, walking in the fear of the Lord is better. Living your life following Jesus along the narrow and often difficult way is better. Living your life led by the Spirit and not by the flesh is better the preacher says, even when it leads you into obscurity into scrutin- and scrutiny from the world, it's better. But then in chapter 10, he tells us why it is better. And he does that by pointing us to the consequences of foolishness. He points us to the life right here, the, the world of the fool. Verses 1 through 15, and here I'll read all of these verses. And then begin, we'll begin to make our way through them. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment get off, give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise, man heart, wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. 
If the anger of the fool of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no one knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now that might not seem, that might seem like a lot of disjointed statements, but I think there is a theme that runs through these verses, and that theme is the, uh, the effects of folly, or the, uh, the effects of foolish living in a person's life. And just as with wisdom, we need to clarify what we mean by foolish living. Just as the Bible tells us that wisdom is fearing the Lord, it also tells us that foolishness is ignoring the Lord. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Those who live in ignorance of God and in disobedience to God are foolish. That's how the fool is defined in the Bible and that's how we're going to use that word this morning. A fool is someone who lives in ignorance and disobedience to God. It is foolish, the preacher says, to live your lives as if there is no God. Poem I came across a few weeks ago I just, says this and says it's Elizabeth Browning Barrett. Earth, Earth, she says, Earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. All around you, you can see evidence of God. And every common bush is a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Reminds us of the, the burning bush where God's presence was. And she says, only those who see that this world is full of God's glory, they stop and they worship Him. Most of the world, they sit around oblivious to Him and simply pick blackberries. What a picture of the foolishness of this world. To live in a world ablaze by God's glory, to inhabit bodies with His fingerprint on every cell, but to live in ignorance of the Creator. This is foolishness. And this foolishness shows up in our lives with devastating consequences. These verses point us to six ways that foolishness shows up in our lives. I almost put seven, but I said we're talking about foolishness. We can't have seven. That's the perfect number. So we're gonna six is often in the Bible is not a good thing, so we're gonna give six. Foolishness, first of all, causes a stench. How does foolishness show up in our lives? It causes our lives to stink. Notice verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Preacher says, even the most beautiful of lives, if you just mix in a little foolishness, all that beauty is tarnished. 
How many people's legacies are ruined by just a little foolishness? Now, if you're hearing these consequences of foolish living only for those who are out there, only for unbelievers, let me invite you to listen a little more closely. Because it's not only the unbelievers who live as if there is no God. There are times when we do it as well. Oh sure, we might know in our minds that there is a God, but we live our lives as if there isn't. It's what we refer to as practical atheism. Practical atheism. In our practice, in our everyday lives, we live as if there is no God. We live as if there is no one watching us. We live as if our sin doesn't matter and as if we can get away with it. The preacher says, be warned because foolishness, even a little bit of it, begins to cause a stench. Even a little fly will ruin an entire bottle of precious perfume. Foolishness will cause a stench. Secondly, foolishness will bring shame. Foolishness will cause a stench. Foolishness will bring shame into our lives. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says that there's only two paths in this world. You might think there's people going on all kinds of different paths. The preacher says it only boils down to two. The wise are going one way and the fool is going the other. You're either on one or the other. The the Jerusalem Bible says the wise man's heart leads him aright, but the fool's heart leads him astray. The wise man's heart leads him aright, leads him in the right way, the good way. The fool's heart leads him towards destruction. Jesus tells us there's only two ways as well. There's two roads. There's the narrow road that leads to life and there's the broad road that leads to death. One of those roads is packed and the other is rarely traveled. You know, this time of year, many of us, we're looking for the rarely traveled road in Sussex County. Because the main roads are full of beach traffic. And Jesus says there's a lot of people who are on the broad path that leads to destruction, but look for the narrow way. Find the way that leads to life. Notice what he says going on to verse 3. It says, even when the fool, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Here's where we get to this heading of the foolishness that brings shame into our lives. It says the fool, they think they've got their foolishness covered up. They think they've got it hidden. Preacher says it's not going to stay that way for long. There's two ways that this phrase can be taken. One way is that the person who is walking along the road, they're telling everyone that they're a fool. Kind of like Oprah when she gives away prizes. You're a fool. You're a fool. Everyone's a fool. That's the, the foolish person. They're calling everyone fools as they walk along the road. The other way is to see this, that as they're walking through life, they're doing it with a bright neon sign over their head with a flashing arrow followed by the word fool pointing down at them. The best way, I think, is to see it both. The foolish person is pointing around to them, labeling everyone else a fool, not realizing that they are traveling on the same road. Everyone knows they're a fool, but themselves. They're the last ones to see it. They think their foolishness is hidden, that that no one knows, but they're not fooling anyone. Most of all, they're not fooling God. And shame is looming on the horizon. Let me just stop there and point to 
another preacher in his first words that are recorded in the Gospels, that preacher being Jesus. I didn't look to know and see if it's in all the Gospels, the first word, but I know in Mark, the first words that we get of Jesus, the first red letter words and red letter word from Jesus is repent. Turn around. Get off the path of fools. That word applies not only to the unsaved and not only to the moment where you are saved, where you repent and turn to Christ for the first time, but it applies to the saved as well. Repent and turn again to Christ. Martin Luther said the entire Christian life is one of repentance, of turning from sin and turning to Jesus, of turning from foolishness and turning to wisdom and turning to wisdom incarnate, which is Jesus. Foolishness brings shame, but you do not have to experience it. Bring it into the light. Now that might be unpleasant and it might bring embarrassment in the moment, but it is far better than having it exposed down the road. Repent and turn from your foolishness and turn to Christ. Foolishness brings shame, but it's a shame that can be avoided. Foolishness, thirdly, brings confusion. Verses 5-7, through seven, the preacher witnesses an upside-down world. An upside-down world where those who should be in power, because of their wisdom, are demoted and the fool is put in charge. Now, we might read that and we get thrown off by the language of rich and slave. And we might look at this and say, well, this is a good thing. Well, it's a good thing that the, the rich are dethroned and the oppressed are exalted. But this is not about oppressed and oppressor. As much as the world wants to tell you everything is about oppressed and oppressor. This is not about oppressed and oppressor. This is about those who have the ability and the wisdom to govern. They're, they're, they're the rich because for a reason. They've, they, they have done well in this world through their wisdom. But they have been demoted. And instead those who don't have that wisdom are exalted. Uh, think about a workplace environment where someone is promoted simply because of their relationship to the boss, whether that's family relationship or, or friendship or whatever. They have no qualifications, but they get the job while someone who is supremely qualified is overlooked. Think of this in, in government, where the wise are overlooked sometimes because they are quiet and, and they're drowned out. But the wise are overlooked and instead those with big personalities or the right family connections or friends in high places are put in power. Foolishness creates chaos and confusion in our world and in, not just in world at large but in our lives. It causes us to value those things that should be devalued and to devalue those things that should be valued. It causes confusion and it causes an upside down world. Number four. Foolishness keeps us from seeing the danger ahead of us. Here we get to some of the interesting verses as we read. These series of statements of everyday accidents or activities that result in tragic accidents. The idea here is, at least I think the idea here is that the reason the accident happened is because the person did not have the foresight to see what lay ahead. They dug a pit, but they stood close, too close to the edge, and they, they fell into the pit. Now, this could also be, in the Bible sometimes, digging a pit is laying a trap for someone. They laid a trap for someone else. Instead, they fell into the trap. They broke through an old wall, and they reached their hand into the wall before they, before they gave it any thought, and they are bitten by a snake. They're working in a quarry, and they have the stones that they're working with fall on top of them, and 
They, they have a tree cut down and the tree falls on them. Now certainly wisdom does not keep us from these accidents all the time. What the preacher is pointing at is, is verse, what he says in verse 10. Here's kind of the summary. And that is if you would just sharpen your axe, if you would just use a little wisdom, you would be a lot more successful. They don't think ahead and because of that they get themselves in all kinds of trouble. Jesus again, Jesus again warned us about being foolish about what lies ahead. He says you can interpret the weather, but you don't know how to look around and see the signs of the times and what they're pointing to. Wisdom helps us to be prepared for what lies ahead. Foolishness causes us to be short-sighted. Let me just take a moment here and say that as Christians, we need to use wisdom when we process how the world, process the world around us. We need to remember that the world is coming up with solutions and, and solutions to problems, and they're doing it based off of foolishness. Just this week, I listened to a podcast, and the guy was very sarcastic, but he was pointing to the rise of, of violence in these, these cities that have been the advocates for defunding the police. And he says, no one saw this coming, did we? And I don't say that to simply say that our, 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 our police system is as good as it should be or, or even anything like that. But what I'm saying is, and what he pointed to, is that at the root of, of this idea is, was the teaching that the problem with this world and the problem with our cities and the problem with violence is a matter of nurture. That if we just provide a stable enough environment, if we just provide a, a good society, then the good will flourish. That is not biblical thinking. We know that at the core of humanity is a sinful heart. And we must remember that. The solutions the world has to offer, they do not take God into account. We take God into account and we take the Bible into account. We do not need to buy in to the world's solutions because they are based off of shifting sand. Use wisdom. We're seeing a whole lot of, of foolish thinking where people are reaching into a wall and they're getting bit. We do not have to do that. Use wisdom. Verse 11, he says, he says, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. He says, if you don't have enough sense to charm the snake first, then all of your skill is for nothing. You might be the best snake charmer in the world, but if you sit there and play around with it before charming it, and you get bit, it does not matter your skill. Wisdom helps you to see and helps you to be prepared for what lies ahead. Number five, foolishness keeps us from knowing when to stop talking. Foolishness keeps us from knowing when to stop talking. The fool does not know when to stop talking. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The word consume could also be translated as swallow. The lips of a fool, they, they swallow the man whole. There's an irony here. When it comes to wisdom, one of the ways that it shows up, or the lack of wisdom shows up, foolishness shows up, is in our words. Jesus says our, our words, they, they reveal what is in our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. It reveals what's in our heart. James tells us that though a... 
Though a tongue is small, like a small rudder of a ship, it, it sears our entire body. Our, our, our tongue, our words have great power over our lives. Paul says that we can use the tongue either for building up or we can use it for tearing down. We can use it for corrupting talk or we can use it for building up. And Jesus tells us, and this should cause us to take notice, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Or type. Our words have great power. And the wise know how to use their words. They know how to wield that power. The wise are slow with their words, verse 4 tells us. When they're, when they're in the presence of a king who is angry at them, they don't simply start running their mouth and talking and trying to talk their way out of it. Instead, they're slow and calm and use their words to lay great offenses to rest. Saw verse 17 of chapter 9. They use their words to heal. Verse 12, they, they use their words to win them favor. But the fool, he keeps talking and talking and talking. Even though he has no clue what he is talking about. The fool doesn't know when to shut up and his words end up destroying him. Verse 13. It says the, they, they start out as just a little bit of foolishness. They end in evil madness. That word evil refers to morality. The word madness refers to insanity. A moral insanity. Is there any question that we live in a world of fools? Have you ever stopped and just listened to the things that people are saying around you? It is moral insanity. Could give example after example after example, but I don't need to. But perhaps I should say this. Do you ever listen to the words that you say? When you justify your own sin, either in your head or out loud, explaining to yourself why it's okay to go against God's will and God's word. We all play the fool at times. And we all need to repent and live in accordance with God's truth. And in accordance with his word. Foolishness. The fool keeps talking and talking and talking. And finally, under this point, foolishness is exhausting. You ever look at somebody who's just living a life of foolishness? And you're just exhausted watching them. Foolishness is exhausting and does not get you anywhere. Verse 15, he says, he says that the toil of a fool wearies him. And he does not know the way to the city. The fool is exhausted and he's lost. You know, there's a lot of knowledgeable, knowledgeable foolish people. Do you know that? They know everything about anything. But they know nothing about the things that matter. There's a lot of smart fools. One person commented on that phrase. They, they, they know all about what's going on on the other side of the world, but they don't know anything about their own neighborhood. You ever know anybody who has an, exam, has an answer for everything, but their life is just a mess? What foolishness. Seeing that word city. We talked about city in Sunday school. Floyd talked about city, and it reminds me of this other city. The one that narrow road leads to. The celestial city, the heavenly city, the dwelling place of God. And this morning, let me remind you that the most important 
thing in the world that you can know is the way to that city. All earthly knowledge in this world is worthless if you do not know that. And there is only one way, and it's the way of wisdom. It's the way of Jesus. And not simply the way of Jesus, but it is Jesus Himself. He is the way, the only way to that city. He is the only way to leave this world of fools behind one day and to be rid of our own foolishness. And this morning, let me invite you and let me plead with you. Do not forsake the path of wisdom. Do not neglect it, but get on it. It's the only road that will lead you anywhere. Every other road will simply take you in circles. If you've been with us in our study of Ecclesiastes, you've seen us go around and around in circles, pursuing all the pleasures and treasures and wisdom of this world. You will get nowhere and you will be exhausted. Every other road outside of Jesus leads to destruction. Here and for eternity. But Jesus will bring you to life because he will bring you to God. And that's where we end this morning with the value of wisdom. The value that wisdom brings to your life. Verses 16 through 20, let me read them. Woe to you, O land, when your your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the the roof sinks in. And through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. Even thoughts do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature will tell the matter. We quickly point to two values that wisdom brings. First, wisdom causes your life to flourish. And second, wisdom teaches you how to tame your tongue. First, wisdom causes your life to flourish. We see this in verses 16 through 19. Like a land that is governed by a mature and a wise king that flourishes and the land is blessed, so is a life that is governed by wisdom. A life governed by foolishness will feast at the wrong times and for the wrong reasons. And while they're feasting and celebrating, their roof will cave in because they never took time to provide the proper care and the maintenance for that roof. Instead of spending their money on the roof, they spent their money on partying and getting drunk. Wisdom, however, teaches us how to feast, how to enjoy life, and how to live life to the fullest. Foolish. Fullest, not foolish. How to live life to the fullest, not for the purpose of drunkenness. And not as an escape from the world, but so that you might be prepared and strengthened to live well in this world. Wisdom teaches us how to spend our resources well so that we can feast without worrying that the roof will cave in because we already took care of the roof. Wisdom causes our lives to flourish. Now that doesn't mean it won't keep us from all difficulties, but it will bear us up and it will walk with us through difficulties. And finally, wisdom teaches us how to tame our tongue. The fool doesn't know how to, st- how to stop talking. Wisdom teaches us to tame our tongue. Wisdom teaches us to be careful with our words. It teaches us not to talk behind someone's back. And how many of you have had the embarrassing situation of having something you said about someone get to that person? I've used this story before, but when I was living with a friend, I texted a, another friend I thought to complain about my roommate and something he had just done, only to hear in the other room a ding of his cell phone. 
followed by a stomping of feet and a slamming of the door. I texted him instead. It was an awkward situation for the next few days. Wisdom helps us to avoid those situations by helping us to tame our tongue. Wisdom teaches us, as James says, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. The wise person is someone you can reveal things to because you know that they won't spread them to everyone. They aren't a gossip, but they are trustworthy. Wisdom helps us to tame our tongue. The question is, which path are we on? Which path are you on? Are you on the path of wisdom? Or are you on the path of foolishness? Jesus said that those who build their life upon wisdom are like those who build their house on a rock. When the wind and waves of, of life come, and they, and they will, the house stands firm because it has a solid foundation. The foolish person, though, builds their house on sand and it quickly topples when the storm comes. We live in a world of foolish people. And at times we have joined in their foolishness. But the preacher tells us that there is another way. That there is a better way. And it is the way of wisdom. Let me close with this verse from Jeremiah 6. And hear this as the invitation from the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Stand by the roads and look. And ask for the ancient path. And I would say ask for the wise path. Where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Walk in the wise paths of life. And you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have revealed to us this wisdom. You, you, it says in your word in the New Testament, you've told us that the wisdom of this world gets us nowhere. If all we have is earthly wisdom and earthly knowledge, it is futile. But you have given us a wisdom that comes down from heaven. And you invite us, whenever we need wisdom, to simply ask and you will give it. May this be an invitation this morning for us to ask for wisdom. Those who are in situations of life where they just don't know what to do, Give them wisdom, God. For each of us, as we wake up each day, not knowing what lies ahead of us that day, may we be quick to ask for your wisdom to live our lives each day, knowing that you exist, knowing that you have a path laid out for us, knowing that you have called us to live in the light of your truth. May we not be foolish people, but may we live wisely in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand? If you would, let me send you out with this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3 of the end. May these words go with you this week. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace. You are dismissed.